I was a member of a black organisation, a black power organisation called the Fasimbas. You're listening to Unjust, a Justice Gap podcast, and that's the voice of Winston True. We had gone into alliance with the Black Liberation Front in 1971, hence on that Thursday evening, we had a meeting with them. We had a long discussion, and we was getting late, so listen, we've got to go home. There's a four of us, myself, Omar Boucher, there's Sterling Christie, and then there's George Griffiths, Bunny for short, and the four of us walked towards Manor House tube station. The four young men entered Manor House in high spirits. They'd had a successful meeting, and Winston told me he had plans for the weekend. Oh, we're, 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 we're lively, we're jolly. We take the Piccadilly line from Manhattan and change at Leicester Square. The next station is Leicester Square. The Northern Line train to, to go to the station with Saturn. We sit there relaxing, talking about the meeting, all sorts of things. Jolly, you know, good mood. The next station is Oval. Then the train pulls into Oval Station, South London. Got out of the train, walked towards the escalator, walked towards the exit, towards the escalator. We noticed a, a white man hanging about on the platform. Well, nothing to do with us. Chris in front of me. I was behind Chris and Bunny was behind me and Omar was well, way behind me. We skipped off the top of the escalator to turn left to go out. And then suddenly the two men who were in front of us turned around and grabbed us. Get over there, get over there. We're police. So we said, so? Show us your ID. Never you bloody mind. You lot have been nicking handbags. We're going to search you lot. That flipping stupid. We've not, we've not been seeing any bags. Where are they? Another man jumped on our back. Anyway, he, 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 didn't have, he didn't have time to think. All they had time to do was react to what they were doing. They were pushing, you're pushing them. They're pushing, you're pushing them. They're shouting at you, you're shouting at them. It was chaos. I just threw him off, threw him off my back and he fell to the ground. Um, so the man on the floor grabbed my legs and I fell over. So the one held my legs, the other one held me in the headlock around my neck. My, I felt my face getting really, really tight. I said, I could hardly breathe. Good God, he's trying to kill me, he's trying to kill me. This incident, this struggle on Thursday the 16th of March 1972, was just the prelude to a 50-year story of injustice for a group of young black men who were to become known as the Oval Four. Then the man who had kicked said to me, you bloody had it, you bloody had it. We're police, we're police. What the hell's going on? This episode is the first of a two-parter which will attempt to unpack that story. This is Unjust, I'm Callum McRae. My name is Winston True. Winston True came of age in Peckham, southeast London, in the early 70s. And that's where we'll start this story. I asked him first about his youth, about that period of his life, and what London was like then. You'd leave your home on a Saturday evening and you'd, go, you'd walk around, you'd, you'd go to one party, go to another party, till you eventually found, you found a party that suited your... Your, your mood, as it were. You go in there, you dance, the girls will be there, you dance, you dance. The 1970s reggae, very conscious music. He was proud of being a young black man in South London, and that 
pride, he told me, shone through in his style. Oh, listen, we, we, you, could, you, you, you couldn't go out. Um, my mother said, Martin Luther Tesla, when you go out, you, you represent your people. You've got to be dressed smart. Your hair's got to be combed, your, 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 your face creamed, your, your suits ironed. We, as I, we look really sharp and crisp. We were proud of ourselves as being young black men, wearing suits, mohair suits, tonic suits, robes. We dressed really sharp. We, we looked really good at that time. During the 1970s, a song called Young, Gifted and Black by Bob and Marcia, and we saw ourselves as young, gifted and black, also rough and tough. So we were quite fearless. And they had to be in a time where the majority white population perceived young black men as... Rowdy, but we weren't really rowdy. Just the way that we expressed ourselves was quite vocal and animated. Relations with the police were, well, they were frosty, to say the least. The police, during the 1960s, when I was growing up as a teenager, and certainly the early 1970s, the police were always stopping you. There wasn't so much stop and search, but harassment, basically. Yeah, they say things like, okay, sunshine, and we, you say, don't call me sunshine. So they say things to antagonise you. They'd stop you, ask you lots of questions, where you're going. We worked out a, a, a scheme that if the police stopped you, you'd have a wrong name and wrong address. Because the last thing you wanted was for your parents to know that the police had stopped you or the police had come to your house and asked you if you lived there. Do you remember? Do you remember your false name? It was Errol Jones. Right. <laughs> it's a typical West Indian type of name, as, as you probably know that. It was Errol Jones. I lived Porter Street, Vestry Road, Campbell, South East Five. There's one incident, if I just quickly tell you, I was in the Ram Jam in Brixton. At the time, young black men and white men used to get involved in, in altercations in the club, mainly, mainly over dancing with women and so forth like that. The black men want to dance with the white women, the white men didn't want you to dance with the white women, so you had antagonisms over that. So one day I was sitting upstairs in a restaurant, and for some reason, I had this ornamental paper knife with me. And one of the bouncers saw it. And he said, what's that? I said, oh, it's an ornamental paper knife. Now, because there was lots of stabbings in the club and in, in the Britain area, he took me down to the manager. And the manager said, oh, but this is enough. He called the police. I thought, oh, for God's sake, police. They weren't holding, holding on to me. And they opened the back of the squad car and said, get in there. And for a brief moment, I looked across the road, I saw a Britain police station. The squad car was facing towards Kennington. I just took off, I just ran immediately across the road, ran, 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 and I just took off up the road. I had no intention of going to the police station. It was easy to, easy to avoid going to the police station by running away, yes. Research from The Times suggests the black population of London felt underprotected as victims and over-policed as suspects. Understandably then, there was a desire to empower themselves. One of the main things about racism was that it denied who you were. So we wanted to basically build a sense of identity of who we were as young black men growing up in Britain. Winston, Sterling, George and Omar were members of an organisation called the Fasimbas, the Swahili word for young lions. So our aim was to organise ourselves, to educate ourselves. It was self-help. We were looking for a better way of life for ourselves. So basically organising, educating, organising and educating. One of the things that racism did was, was to teach you to distrust other people. So we trusted each other. We had confidence in each other. And for the first time in our lives, we met as young black people. 
It was on the way home from a Fasimba's meeting with the Black Liberation Front in North London when the quote-unquote altercation happened with plain-clothed police officers that Winston described at the top of this episode. So here they left the train at Oval Station as it came in the Northern Line and walked up these stairs. I'm going up the escalator, but uh, and then at the top of these stairs there's a big open space and that's where they were apprehended um, by a group of white men who said they were police and, uh, and that's where they threatened them. By that time I was, I was flipping frightened. I was frightened. I still had no, no idea what was going on. Now the group, Winston and the other three men, asked to see ID to show that they were indeed police, but the men showed nothing. They, they came to us as a basically a, a bunch of yobs. That's basically it. And then obviously, growing up in Peckham, we understood how white, white men, white youths behaved. So we basically reacted to their behaviour towards us, which was aggressive. So that's what happened. And then the backup arrived and they were arrested taken out round the corner and put into a police van. I'm sitting in the van and the man, the ginger hair, I'd thrown to the ground said to me, just you fucking wait to get to the station. Just you fucking wait. I knew exactly what he meant. They're taking us out of the back of the van. In the dim light of the corridor going to the back of the police said, he gave me two punches to the back of my head, saying, you fucking bastard, you fucking bastard. Bang, bang in the back of my head. I was toppled forward. I was dazed. And at this point, Winston, Omar, Sterling and George still have no clue what they're being arrested for. But we'll find out later in the night exactly what they're going to charge us with. Initially, they were accused of stealing handbags. All I'm saying, what the hell's going on? This all is rubbish. Later, they were told it was... Insulting behaviour and assaulting the police. And then it was pickpocketing on the escalator and on the platform. Nothing made sense. Lies were truths, truths are lies, and that's it. It almost felt Kafka-esque. Yes. Stand up when I'm talking to you. Get over there, take it off. Winston told me next about what happened in the police cell. Detective Sergeant Derek Ridgewell, that's a name I'm going to ask you to remember for the following episode. He was somewhat insistent that Winston signed a confession. Ridgewell sitting in front of a desk. He had a statement written out to me saying, I tried to pick a man's pocket on the platform. So I said, I said no, that's not true, none that happened. I'll not sign that bloody statement. I'm stupid. That didn't happen. What did Ridgewell do? He moved back and gave me two slaps in my face. I can, I can see him now. I was so shocked, I, I grabbed my face and I got up. Then two, two of the other detectives came in and punched me all over my back and I sat back down again. Your mate admitted it. Your mate, your mate told his, you better tell your bit. Very clever, listen. You better tell your bit. I said, I've got nothing to say, none will happen. And he said, you ain't, he's saying, are you loving this word bloody? You're not bloody going in until you sign a bloody statement. The door, cell door opened, uniformed officer stood there, and then came a huge policeman. He's a, a regimental sergeant major type. Stand over there! He said, you've been attacking my, you've been attacking my officers, haven't you? I said, I said, I've not been attacking anyone. They were the one who attacked us. Don't lie to me. My officers are lying, are they? I said, I was quite, I thought, no, 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 no. I didn't answer him because I know. 
I said, if I agree that his officers are lying, it'd be an invitation to get a punch in my face. So I kept quiet. But he had something else in mind for me. He was getting, nudging, edging closer and closer towards me. He grabbed my head and hit my head against a bang. I didn't have my hat on, so my head, it echoed in a, in a cell. Bang, echoed all around the cell. I just collapsed on the bench, holding my head, thinking that my head had cracked open. The other three had signed confessions, but it was clear they'd endured a similar ordeal to Winston. I had my head banged against all. Bunny had his eyes split. Chris had a dog bite him. Omar had his, his lips split. And eventually, Winston too signed a confession. Kept on and on and on and on. Yeah, you, 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 you lot got around nicking handbags on, on, on a Thursday morning. So don't be stupid. I thought, hang on a minute, Thursday morning. I used to sign on when I was on Thursday morning at 10.30. You lot go nicking handbags on Thursday morning. Then I denied, I said, hang on a minute, Thursday morning? Oh, right. Somebody said, you, you lot go picking pockets at bus. I said, okay, okay, okay. Yep, it was me, it was us. So I only admitted to the crimes. I agreed that I'd been picking pockets and picking purses on Thursday morning at 10.30 because I had a cast iron alibi. So the idea was almost like tactically you knew a way you could get out of this exactly. and then prove. Exactly. More or less, you've got me, Governor. I'm going to fast forward just a little to the day of the trial. The over four now pleaded not guilty and maintained that the confessions were as a result of violent interrogations. The admissions in the sentence have to meet two criteria. First criteria that they voluntarily made. And they said that they denied that we're being up the second. We made that as voluntary. The second criteria is that they have to be true. Well, if the first was yes, the second one was no, because they weren't true. They couldn't have happened. What had happened, I had the manager of the Labour Exchange come in and tell the court he couldn't have done it. He was signing on when I was supposed to be out picking pockets in Brixton, Clapham, North London, where it was. Well, if they said it was, if they said it was, I was picking pots on the moon, I would have said it was 10 30 on Thursday morning. So, quite rightly, the judge advised the jury to find him not guilty on those charges he confessed to. He had a watertight alibi. But as to the charges of the pickpocketing at the station and the assault of a police officer, guilty. I'm saying to myself, guilty? Guilty? How can I be guilty for something I didn't do? I was in shock. I was in shock. I was in shock. The judge at sentencing seemed to take issue with trouble being caused on public transport. Two years, two years, my mother fainted. Chris's mother screamed, my son's not a thief, my son's not a thief. Mother's collapsed on the floor. The next episode is all about Winston's near 50-year fight to overturn his and the other members of the Oval Four's wrongful convictions. The only reason I can believe in that because I, over the last 50 years, I've established my innocence. But at, when, when I first got found guilty, I thought I, I was never going to establish my innocence. It looked like a, an uphill struggle. I was pushing a rock up a hill and, it, and nothing would convince anyone
You've been listening to Unjust, which is produced by me, Callum McRae, this time with help from Aisha Ahmed. The original music was by Ed Starkey, and you can find his music on SoundCloud, including this track, which is called Bamboo. I'll put the link in the podcast description. Please share us widely and rate us on your podcast platform.